Trust you all had a good week? No? Okay, all right, good. For the next few weeks, we've been on this uh, series, and uh, next week I'll take a little break and we'll talk about water baptism and what, um, how the church practices water baptism. If you don't know, we practice full immersion in our church. There's a big tank behind us here, and uh, so it'll be full of water and warm on the 28th and um, be baptizing people uh, in water. So, um, just, so just so you know, that message will be geared toward that. And then I'm coming back on Baptism Sunday, and of course that is... Um, um, Palm Sunday, so we'll celebrate Palm Sunday together. But just so you know, every one of these stories that leads through the book of John tells the story of Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, and this story is no different. We'll be looking at um, chapter 12 of John, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you not, don't have one, there's one near you, under one of the seats around you, so just grab one. If you need a Bible, take one of those. We'll um, replace it. We buy them by the case for that purpose so that you can take them home if you need them. All right, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not because of him, but but also because to to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now the story starts with six days. This is less than a week before Jesus' crucifixion. Passover takes place, the Last Supper. We follow that uh, scenario on Easter Sunday and uh, Good Friday. By the way, we have a Good Friday service here. We're hoping that Um, People will come out for that. Uh, It's a communion service, and I focus my entire message on communion, what the elements really mean, and um, how you can honor the Lord by taking them and remember what he's done for us. So it's a great service, so I hope you'll come out. Um, But this, this takes place less than a week before Jesus is put on trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And we'll spend... Easter Sunday and Good Friday talking all about those things. But today, let's focus on what's going on in this last week because everything that Jesus does is leading to that cross and that tomb. Everything in his life is to tell that story and to prepare the people for the idea that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, last week we talked about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and how that... um, 
how that Jesus had friends, for one thing. I mean, he had friends other than his disciples. A lot of people knew him. A lot of people followed him. So the disciples were the inner circle. But beyond that, there were layers of people who also believed and followed. And we'll talk a little bit about them today as well. But in going to this last week, it's interesting to me, and I hope it is to you, that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing all of the time because he knew the Father's will. Knowing God's will kept him on track all of the time. And some of us struggle every day with what, our, what the will of God is, and we're distracted by a lot of other voices that sometimes say, this is what you ought to be doing. Jesus is no exception to that, by the way. He's constantly being reminded by his disciples, by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by those close to him, what he should be doing. In fact, another gospel of this story with this same story, and it talks about how Martha was upset with Mary and actually went to Jesus and said, hey, she should be helping me in the kitchen. And Jesus goes on to explain why she's not and why she's choosing something even better. So this whole idea of knowing the will of God and understanding the will of God and staying focused on what God's purpose for your life is, is crucial to us. Because Jesus understood what the kingdom was all about. He understood what his purpose in the kingdom was. He knew exactly where he was going and why he was going there. And that the whole point of how Jesus lived was to glorify his Father, draw attention to his Father, but it's also to prove to those around him that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Christ. And we'll get into that in just a little bit, but get that idea firmly in your heart. This is bedrock to our own understanding of what the Scriptures mean. It's bedrock to our understanding, especially in the Gospel of John, that John is always telling the story over and over and over again that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he says to his disciples, you will not always have me. He says, the poor you'll always have with you. And Judas was upset, of course, about the money. We'll get into that. But he says, you will not always have me. He's preparing them once again for his crucifixion. Because after the crucifixion, of course, is the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And after the resurrection, the ascension into heaven. And Jesus is gone from this earth. Now imagine these guys and these gals, Mary and Martha as well, and all of his other followers, coming to this reality, to this truth. Here they are in the presence of Christ daily. They get to see Jesus every day. They get to hear what he has to say every day. They get to walk with him. They get to know him personally and intimately as the man, the son of God, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the teacher, the prophet, all of the things that Jesus is and was, they're walking with him every day. And he's warning them, this is going to end. You're not going to always have me around. I'm going to do what I need to do, and that means I need to leave. Now, we know through Scripture that he also says, there's something greater coming. The book of Acts tells us that. That when I ascend, I will send the Spirit to be with you always. 
so that not only is Christ physically with his disciples here, but now he has spread, his spirit has spread throughout the entire earth. That's good for us. That's good for us. Because if Jesus had just walked on the earth and we'd have had him forever, his personality, his personhood, then that would have ended it. We could have just had him there and we could have gathered around as often as we once, maybe make a pilgrimage once a year or something like that. But now Christ has sent his spirit to us to saturate his church with his presence. The spirit of God on us, in us, working through us, teaching us, leading us, guiding us, helping us understand what's next in our lives, but also how to live this day in service to him. He said, you're not always going to have me with you, but I'm sending someone better. Something better. Something more valuable because he will be with you always. Now this is an everything and nothing normal event. The disciples and all of the people that followed him, this is just a dinner, right? Hey, they threw a dinner in his honor. Nice. And they're all gathered around and everybody's doing their thing and people are talking and people are telling stories and it's a fun time just like any celebratory dinner would be, right? But there's also nothing normal about this because not only is there the followers of Christ, the Pharisees are there. I hate talking about the Pharisees, and yet I'm going to talk about them a lot again today because I think it's a valuable lesson for us to understand how our theology and our religion can lead us away from the very thing we so desperately need. How sometimes those things become our God, our church, church family, church people, all valuable and important and wonderful things. But if that becomes our God, if that becomes why we do what we do, if that becomes the purpose for our existence, we're missing out. The Pharisees took that very stance. This is who we are. This is what we do. And they missed out. Because seated right there at that dinner with them was the Messiah they had belonged for for thousands of years. They missed out. They couldn't even see him. Now, I love the story of Mary. She's absolutely an amazing woman, right? This is more than perfume. In this dinner, this is out of the ordinary. This is beyond out of the ordinary. Mary does something here that's just not right. It's just not right. Who does that? Who breaks open a bottle of perfume and dumps it on someone? Maybe on um, America's Funniest Home Videos or some other prank show, we see such goofy behavior. This is that level of kind of goofy if you don't understand it. See, Mary was destined to do this. This wasn't just perfume. This was perfume that anointed the body of Christ. Because when Jesus was buried, he didn't get through the normal burial ritual because it was the 
end of the Passover, and they had to get him off of the cross, and they stuck him in a tomb, wrapped him up quickly, put him in a tomb, rolled the stone in front of it, and said, that's it. No traditional burial was given to Christ, and that means the body wasn't prepared for burial. And Jesus says she's doing this because she needs to. She's preparing my body for burial. And this perfume is just, just, it's just so much more than a gift. It's just so much more than some act of crazy behavior. Mary's doing something that's unusual, out of the ordinary, even a little bizarre. And yet, it is purposeful and exactly what needs to happen on this night. Out of the ordinary. No real reason could be seen by anyone else. Everyone else around there is going, what? is she doing? And why would she do such a thing? You know who knew? Jesus. This is why. She's preparing me for burial. And this picture of Mary is a picture of grace received. You know, she just, she's just out of the box grateful. This is out of the norm. This is beyond anything normal, acceptable, reasonable. This is one of those crazy ideas you get, and, you, and if you stop and think about it for longer than 10 seconds, you say, no, I, that's just that's not a good idea. That's not going to work. But when you see how she worships here, when you see how she sets aside all of the personal stuff, she's going to love Jesus in a way that no one else has and that no one else is prepared to do. She's going to worship him in a way that is beyond anything anyone's ever seen before. She's not just giving up something that's expensive and personal. But this is on her. This is who she is. This is about Mary. This is Mary coming out of that comfort zone and doing something that's just extreme and not caring what anybody thinks. It's a picture of grace received. When we understand the fullness of God's grace, when we really get it that we really have no place in this thing other than by the grace of God, that's the response. Out of the box, uncaring what anybody thinks, I will honor the Christ with my life. And it fills this room with the aroma of worship. Nobody can escape it. You can't run out of the room and say, you know, I, I have a problem with scents, right? Sue, can you imagine this? Sue has a problem with, with perfume. That's why I call her out. She just can't stand Strong's perfume. And some people are that way, right? You just, I'm kind of the same way. I don't like strong fragrances. You can't escape the smell. Now, I don't know what, exactly what nard smells like, but just the name tells me it probably doesn't smell anything like I'd want. It probably doesn't smell like fried bacon. It smells different. Strong perfume smell, but it's the aroma of worship. 
The whole room is filled with it. And then I think of this picture and I think, how often does my worship get to this level? How often do I just really enter in? I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody believes about me. I just hope that the aroma of my worship raises into the heavenlies and touches the nostrils of God himself and awakens him to my worship, to my presence. That I love him so much that I'm so thankful for all that he's done that the smell just fills the air. The aroma of worship the smell of praise. It's just an amazing picture. And there's no escaping that aroma. It's everywhere. It's on Jesus. It stays with him. People smelled that for a long time. It didn't go away because he washed his feet later that day. That smell stuck around. The aroma of worship. May our worship be so fragrant. So fragrant that it fills the room. Now Judas was a thief and a liar. There's no better way to say it. There's no other way to say it. Those are two words that just fit. He was a thief and a liar. I want to talk about Judas' heart for just a minute. Because we struggle with this disciple, this one of the twelve, one of the inner circle, really this close to Christ, being, being such a deviant guy, and having a deviant heart. He was a thief and a liar. He stole money out from the poor. And he lied constantly. If Mary is the picture of grace received, then Judas is the picture of grace rejected. He walked with Jesus. He listened to everything he had to say. He learned from the other disciples as well. He was this camaraderie that was among these 13 people, the 12, and Jesus himself was strong. It was a strong bond. And Judas rejected that rejected the very presence of God himself in his life, turned his heart hard against the reality of Christ. And the question always comes up, was Judas really a believer or was he just a pretender? I don't know the theology that you have and what you embrace about this kind of thing, but I, I, I don't really have a solid answer for that. But I think Judas, I hope that Judas at one time followed sincerely, that he really wanted to be around Jesus, that he really was interested in the truths that Jesus taught, the mercy that Jesus offered, the miracles that Jesus performed. Now Judas saw all these things. He saw the blind eyes open. He saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. Told those stories. And yet he rejects that. He turns from that. And that's the Judas heart. It never really gets penetrated. It never really gets softened. It's always just 
resistant to even things that are blatantly wide open to see. And his first response when the perfume is poured out and Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair is this selfish, bitter, lying, thieving response. Rejection. We could have had that money in the, for the poor. And doesn't that sound noble? Notice his noble response. We could have given that money to the poor. The Judas heart, it sometimes comes across as being sincere, but it really misses the whole picture. Misses who Jesus is altogether. Here's the question, though. Are we capable of a Judas heart? I think we are all capable of the Judas heart. That we stay in love with the things we stay in love with. That we guard our hearts against Mary's response. We don't want to get too carried away. We don't want to seem too pious. We don't want to seem too, you know, crazy. In our worship and how we worship, but not just when we worship here on Sunday mornings, but even in our lives Notice, this isn't a worship service that Mary's at. This isn't that kind of place. This isn't at the temple. This is at a house, and they're just having dinner together. But her response to Jesus was so overwhelming, even in this place, that it broke all the molds and set a standard for us to shoot for. We're all capable of the Judas heart of reserving, preserving, keeping, building walls. When the presence of Christ comes into our lives, his very nature is to tear those walls down and to open us up to his truth and his reality, his presence, in such a way that our worship becomes unhinged, that our lives in worship to him, become abnormal, not acceptable in the world around us. Now the Jews had also gathered at this dinner, the Pharisees, we get to talk about the Pharisees again. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests came, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were coming and worshiping Christ. Now here's my biggest problem with the Pharisees. Pharisees lead with a whip. Obey or die kind of mindset. Obey or it will hurt. Follow us or you will pay the price. That's the only kind of mindset that would ever come up with such a stupid idea is to not only kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus as well. They come after them and, because they want to kill the real leader. These guys aren't leaders, they're just Pharisees. That's a great way to, not, to say it. They're just Pharisees, right? I mean, if you know what a Pharisee is, you get that. 
A Pharisee is just someone who's going through all of the rule books and following. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no, there's no desire in their minds or in their hearts to really know truth and reality. They just think they've got it. They've got the truth. They've got this answer. They've got, and it makes them stubborn in heart and mind. But most of all, it makes them cold and calculating. They're cold to the reality that's around them. They're blind to it. Notice this passage says, they want to kill Lazarus because Lazarus was risen from the dead. The one of the, the, the great miracle, short of his own resurrection, is the resurrection of Lazarus, right? We talked about that last week. The great miracle was Lazarus' resurrection. It proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Messiah, that he's the Christ. So their plan is to kill Lazarus. Death does not negate resurrection. What a stupid idea. Can I say it that plain? These guys haven't got a brain in their heads. Let's kill the guy that was already dead because Jesus rose him from the dead and that'll prove that he was never resurrected in the first place. These guys are morons. They just don't follow any logical thinking whatsoever. Let's get rid of Jesus because a lot of people are following him instead of following us because that will make them follow us. And guess what? It didn't work because it won't work. Death does not negate resurrection. They kill Lazarus again. He still was resurrected in the first place. Knuckleheads. All right, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 42. Hang on, here we go. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of man, praise of God. This is one of the saddest statements that you'll ever read. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. This tells you the heart of the Pharisees. People pleasers. Wanting to make sure they don't upset the kettle. That they don't make people mad. That they don't say anything that might offend. They miss the boat altogether. And they loved the praise of men. Church, we need to make note of this. We need to take this to heart. We live in a world that praises people, raises them up, places them on pedestals. We live in a world where it is Emmy Award time. You know what I mean? Where they heap praises on each other. And we can fall into that trap in the church as well. We need to be people in our lives, day in and day out, that are listening for the one voice of praise that matters. One voice. 
And in our prayer time, pray until you hear that voice. Pray until you hear that voice. Stay in his presence until you hear him say, okay, you're my child, let's go. Because that will get you through the day like nothing else. That'll take you over the edge. That'll put you in a place like Mary. That'll put you where you need to be. That'll make Jesus shine out of your life. That's what people are looking for, that genuine person just all surrendered to Christ, just like Mary. But we want to hear the praises of people. You know, sometimes when I come down for church, I say to my wife, how do I look? You look great. Now, she's the last person I should ask because she always thinks I look great, right? Except for, well, in my sweats sometimes. What happened to you? What we really need to listen to is, Lord, how do I look? How am I standing? How's my heart? Where's my head at? And when we hear that voice that says, you're good, I love you, go get them, that's when we can go. We listen to the praises of men way too much. And we miss out on the one voice we really must hear, must hear. This isn't an option for us as Christians. This is mandatory that we hear the praise of God. This is my child. I love you. Go get him. When we get to heaven, there's only one thing we'll hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the praise of God. Well done. You fought the good fight. You ran the race. You won. Well done. I need to hear that now, too. Because if I don't, those questions, that uneasiness, that insecurity rises to the surface way too easily. If we're listening to the praises of men, it happens all the time. But if we're listening to the praises of God, we'll find exactly what we need to hear. So, Judah's heart, Mary's heart, Pharisee's heart, there's only one of them that we should try to emulate. And in that belief, we need to act. This is God calling us. Mary believed completely. The disciples mostly believed. And it really wasn't until after the resurrection, in fact, it really wasn't until the day of Pentecost that they really went all in. Judas didn't believe or believed at one time and lost it, I'm not sure. Pharisees never believed. And those that did believe feared the praise of men rather than wanting to hear the praise of God. So believe like Mary. Have Mary's heart. Go all in. It's a heart of wonder. It's a heart of wonder. If you don't, have, if you don't understand how far you are from where you need to be and how God's grace just overwhelms that, washes that out, you really need to get closer to him 
It's a heart of wonder. I wonder every day, why does God even bother with me? Not because I'm such a sinful, wretched, pitiful person going out and killing people and stealing stuff from stores or swearing all the time. I don't do that stuff, right? But because he's so righteous and he's so holy and he's so pure, he's so good, he's so loving, he's so compassionate, he just overwhelms me. It's a heart of wonder. You need to be overwhelmed by his presence. And then you'll have that wonder and that worship just like Mary, where it won't matter what other people think, and you won't care what other people think, and you won't be concerned about what's going on. You'll just be in love with Jesus and following him and listening to his voice and waiting to hear him say, you're my child, you're good, I love you, let's go. Let's serve him together. It's a heart of gratitude. I think Mary just loved more because she was forgiven of so much. And in our churches, the danger is too often that we forget. We follow all the rules to the point where we say, I am a good, solid Christian. Okay, good. There's a next level, though, that'll get you way beyond that where it's not just a good, solid Christian. It's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's our goal. That's the heart of Mary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the stories. (laughs) How we love the stories. Let them be real to us, Lord. Let us take it these stories and make them true in our own lives. Help us live like Mary, just sold out with wonder and worship and gratitude to serve the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's all we ask because that's all we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.